Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Story I'm a trucker by the name of Jack. I've driven. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.comslash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it. 
with Splash Refresher. And through many a desolate stretch of road, passing by endless miles of nothingness. The solitude doesn't bother me. In fact, I kind of like it. But there's this one memory, this one particular drive through the middle of nowhere Colorado that still sends a chill down my spine. There wasn't much around. Just barren landscapes, the open road stretching out in front of me, and my truck humming along to the rhythm of the highway. It was the only road visible on my map, and it was almost eerily devoid of human touch. But then, up ahead in the horizon, probably about a half mile away from the road, I spotted an unusual cluster of houses or buildings. In a place so desolate, so untouched by civilization, the sight of these structures seemed utterly out of place. Intrigued, I kept my eyes on them as I approached, curiosity piqued by the incongruity of it all. As I drove past, I got a clearer view. The houses were set up in a circle, forming a sort of perimeter around an open area. What was more unsettling, though, were the people I saw walking around in the center. They were all donned in black robes, their faces hidden from view, gathering in a tight circle. Then, out of nowhere, three black SU versus appeared. They drove across the barren landscape, plumes of dust rising in their wake, heading directly towards the group. A sense of unease crept over me, a cold shiver snaking down my spine as I watched the scene unfold. Something about it felt wrong, like I was inadvertently witnessing something I shouldn't. I remember wishing I had the time to stick around, to see what was really going on. But duty called. I had a schedule to keep, deliveries to make. So, I kept driving, leaving the strange sight behind me. In the rearview mirror, the sight of the robed figures and black SU versus slowly faded into the vast Colorado landscape. I often find myself mulling over that sight, wondering what was happening back there. It seemed like something out of a cult movie, a secret meeting in the middle of nowhere. But I guess, I'll never know for sure. All I have is this unsettling memory and a story that sounds too strange to be true. I've seen many odd things during my years on the road, but that eerie sight in Colorado remains the most inexplicable of them all. There's something about driving at night that strips the world of its normalcy, turns the mundane into the mysterious. I learned this the hard way during a run from Yuma, Arizona, driving the lonely stretch where the I-8 intersects the 85 at Gila Bend. It was a familiar route for me. I'd made countless runs along that road, so much so that I even had a regular spot where I'd pull over to stretch my legs and take a leak. That night was no different, or at least that's what I thought as I rounded a bend, the spot in question just up ahead. As I was about to pull over, my headlights illuminated a figure strolling across the highway. It was a creature unlike anything I'd seen before, a strange amalgamation of features that didn't belong together. It looked canine but its appearance was grotesquely warped. Its hind legs were elongated, almost rabbit-like, but twisted in a way that didn't seem natural. Its body was lean and muscular, its defined muscles rippling under the skin as it moved. Its snout was long and narrow, like that of a wolf, but devoid of any fur. The creature's skin was an unusual sight, 
a stark contrast to the mangy patches you'd expect on a hairless animal. Instead, it was thick and tough-looking, almost akin to a rhino's, but it had an uncanny smoothness to it that caught the reflection of my headlights. But what really got me, what truly sent a shiver down my spine, was the way it regarded me. As I slowed down, it didn't panic or run away as you'd expect a wild animal to. It simply continued its leisurely stroll, its eyes never leaving me. It was as if it was sizing me up, unafraid and eerily calm. The creature was massive, easily the size of a Great Dane or a Cane Corso, and its bizarre, uncanny appearance left an indelible mark on my memory. I watched, paralyzed, as it disappeared into the darkness on the other side of the road. Needless to say, I didn't stop that night, nor any other night after that. My usual pit stop was permanently tainted by that eerie encounter. Now, every time I make that run, I can't help but scan the roadside, half expecting to see that creature again. And each time, a chill runs down my spine, a reminder of the night when the mundane turned into the mysterious. I've always had a knack for getting myself into unusual situations. But when I was transferred to a remote town in Alaska, I had no idea just how unusual things would get. The town was surrounded by a vast, dense forest infamous for its strange occurrences. The locals spoke in hushed whispers about the inexplicable disappearances of hikers and chilling apparitions that had a knack for driving people mad. The rumors didn't bother me until the day a couple vanished without a trace during a routine hike. I was Officer Jane Wilkinson, and leading my team of 10 officers into the depths of that forest was a decision that would forever haunt me. We were seasoned police officers. As we moved deeper into the forest, we encountered inexplicable phenomena. Disembodied whispers filled the air, seeming to lure us further into the wilderness. Apparitions flickered in and out of sight among the trees, their presence chilling us to the bone. Then, one by one, my team started to disappear. No cries for help, no gunshots, just a terrifying silence that stretched on until we were down to half our original number. That's when we saw it, a monstrous creature, more beast than man, its twisted form a grotesque mockery of a dog. The cryptid the locals feared was real, and it was hunting us. With my heart pounding in my chest and the primal fear of being hunted surging through me, I found myself stumbling upon its lair. A ghastly sight awaited me there, the remains of countless hikers scattered around the clearing. Gritting my teeth, I radioed the station, relaying the grim discoveries and the horrifying situation. The backup was hours away, the terrain too treacherous for a quick response. Alone and scared, I decided to search for the cryptid. I crept through the woods, my flashlight revealing nothing but shadows and the occasional pair of reflective eyes belonging to a harmless critter. Hours passed in a chilling silence, the creature nowhere to be found. Every snap of a twig, every rustle of leaves set my heart racing. The sky was beginning to lighten when I realized my search had been futile. The cryptid was gone and I was left alone with my fear and the haunting memories of my fallen comrades. As I write this report, I can't help but replay the horrific events of that day in my mind. The fear, the despair, 
and the overwhelming sense of loss. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's that even in the face of insurmountable odds, you don't back down. You fight. You survive. And you live to tell the tale. I'm not the type to believe in the supernatural, the occult, or even cryptids for that matter. But there's this one experience, an eerie encounter on the eve of Halloween that shook me to my core. I was young and invincible then, or so I believed, cruising down the rural roads of Illinois in my sleek sports car. It was a pitch black night, the kind that makes you feel like you're the only person left in the world, and I was relishing the solitude. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a black cat darted across the road. Its eyes, reflecting in my headlights, gave me just enough time to swerve, narrowly avoiding hitting it. The car spun out of control, the tires screeching against the asphalt, and came to a stop with the headlights facing a nearby field. And that's when I saw them. Dozens of people, all donned in black robes, standing amidst the tall grass. Their eyes, wide with surprise, reflected in my high beams. The sight was so surreal, so out of place, it took me a moment to fully comprehend what I was seeing. Before I could react, they scattered. Like shadows fleeing from the light, they dissolved into the darkness. But a few, their faces hidden beneath their robes, started charging towards my car. Fear gripped me, adrenaline surging through my veins. I could hear my heart pounding in my ears, and without thinking, I slammed on the accelerator, peeling out of there as fast as I could. The sight of the robed figures, their forms shrinking in my rearview mirror, is something I'll never forget. Now, this was back in the late 90s, before the Harry Potter frenzy took over. So, it's safe to say it wasn't some fan gathering. I don't know what they were doing out there in the middle of nowhere, in the dead of night, but it felt like I had stumbled upon something I wasn't supposed to see. Now to the part that still gives me chills to this day. In the split second before I hit the gas, I saw something else in that field. At the edge of my high beams, there was a figure, far taller than any of the robed people, hunched over, and covered in hair. It stood on two legs and its eyes, glowing in the darkness, met mine. I've heard tales of cryptids, stories told to scare kids or thrill-seekers, but in that moment, I couldn't deny what I was seeing. It was something unknown, something out of place in the world as I knew it. I didn't stick around to find out what it was. I just drove, leaving the field, the robed people, and the cryptid far behind. Since I can remember, I've always had a deep love for nature, you could say it's my passion. That's why a job as a park ranger felt like a perfect fit. I remember one particular job at a nature park that operated from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. Our shifts were always rotating. One week I'd be on the early shift and the next, I'd be closing up for the night. One Friday evening, I found myself on the closing shift. I had led a brief tour for some visitors that day, but other than that, my day was relatively quiet. Since there wasn't much to do, I decided to start my evening walkthrough early. It was already getting dark, and I was making my way through the woods when I noticed a strange light flashing against the trees behind me. Curious, 
I went to check out the source of the light. But as I got closer, the light flashed again, this time from the direction I had just come from. I yelled out, telling whoever was messing with me to stop it. Then, the light flashed again from a completely different direction, too far for a single person to have moved in such a short time. I figured it must have been two people messing with me, maybe some co-workers, although we weren't particularly close and we didn't typically play such pranks. I yelled again, stating I wasn't in the mood for jokes and that whoever was responsible should leave. Realizing I had no control over this situation, I informed my supervisor that someone might still be in the park and that it wasn't my problem anymore. He told me he'd take over, so I left, got in my car, and began the 10-minute drive home. Suddenly, my phone rang. It was an unknown number. I answered it, and a raspy voice on the other end told me I shouldn't have left them there alone, that I would regret it. I warned them never to call me again and hung up. When I returned to work the next day, I was informed that they'd found a dead dog at the spot where I had seen the flashing lights. The realization hit me like a cold wave, this was the work of a seriously disturbed individual, someone who would commit such a horrific act just to mess with me. This wasn't while hiking, but once a friend and I were driving on an old dirt road way out in the sticks in South Alabama, past an old, 19th century, cemetery, when out of nowhere a truck starts tailgating us. This was really late at night and even in the daytime it would have been rare to see a vehicle, so we were a little creeped out. I speed up and the truck stays right on my bumper. I'm now driving as fast as I can without flying off the road on this small, windy dirt road, think Dukes of Hazard only in a Volvo station wagon, and still can't shake the truck. My buddy who was with me knew the area well and said that we were about to hit a paved road T-bone intersection, and that there was also another small dirt road coming off at a sharp angle from that intersection. He said that if I could get ahead just enough to get out of immediate sight of the truck, then I could cut the wheel hard to the left and whip into the spur road and hopefully ditch the truck. I did what he said but right when I start the turn at the T-bone I see what looks like an incredibly tall person just inside the tree line across the paved road, covered head to toe in long hair. As I'm turning I shout holy shit. Do you see? And before I can finish my friend says. That big tall hairy guy. I finish the turn, we ditch the truck, and got the hell out of there, but to this day we really don't know what we saw. driving through Idaho once in the dead of night and there was this biker who'd been following for the last 50 miles. When you drive sometimes it's just you and someone else for long stretches. I call them road buddies. He was my road buddy. I don't know when it happened but I checked my mirror and he wasn't there anymore. There wasn't really anywhere to turn off, but maybe he pulled over for one reason or another. I look back up and there is a biker in front of me. I don't know if it's the same guy or not. Again, there's not really anywhere to pull over, it's just a bunch of flat dry land with simple fencing on either side. I follow the guy for a mile or so and all of a sudden he pitches hard right like he just took a pothole the worst way possible. I saw him tumble and watched his bike kick up a huge cloud of dust. 
We're not supposed to pull over or pick up hitchhikers but in this kind of situation I don't care what the company says. I pulled right over and got out, left the keys in it and everything. I walked back must have been a quarter mile or more and couldn't find hide nor hair of him or his bike. There were no marks from where he pulled off, and no potholes either. I walked around calling out to him the dark for what felt like half an hour before walking back to my truck. When I climbed in there he was sitting in my passenger seat. He was covered in blood, twigs, and dirt. His leg had been snapped off at the knee and he had taken off his belt to make a tourniquet. He his middle through pinky fingers were pushed back and standing straight up. I asked him if he was okay, but he didn't say anything, he just sat there silent. I tried to touch his shoulder to see if he was even awake and his jaw fell open and he let loose a hideous scream that still chills me to this day. His head fell forward and he started vomiting blood. I screamed and fell backward out of my truck. I woke up apparently a few hours later with a state trooper asking me if I was okay. He was pretty smug about the whole thing and acted like I was making it up. I guess they found a teener of meth on the passenger seat and said it belonged to me. I tried telling them about the ghost rider but nobody would listen. My dad and I have always loved the great outdoors, the thrill of hiking, the serenity of nature, the chance to bond and the allure of camping under the stars. So, we'd planned a weekend trip to the mountains to get our nature fix. We'd found an ideal spot, away from the beaten path and had just set up our tents for the night when an eerie sound cut through the tranquil silence, screams echoing from deeper within the woods. Now, as a pair of sensible black folks, we weren't about to stick around and investigate the source of those screams. Mountains folks eating people? Nope, not a scenario we were interested in starring in. We quickly packed up our stuff, doused the fire, and without another word, hopped into our car to find a different camping spot. As we moved further away from the spine-chilling sounds, we decided to make a pit stop at a convenience store at the foot of the mountains. The clerk was a local, a friendly old chap who'd probably seen more sunsets than there were pebbles on the mountains. We casually mentioned the screams we'd heard, expecting him to be as alarmed as we were. But his reaction was quite the opposite. He laughed, a hearty laugh that seemed to shake his entire frame. When he finally calmed down, he wiped a tear from his eye and told us what was really going on. Turns out, those weren't screams of horror we'd heard but sounds of pleasure. The local tradition was something we had not anticipated, a yearly outdoor orgy for people who dressed up in animal costumes. A furry gathering, if you will. This eccentric group had been congregating in the mountains for years, as per the clerk, and we had unwittingly set camp right in the heart of their rendezvous spot. We drove away, laughter replacing the fear in our hearts. Our fathersome camping trip had taken a strange turn, certainly, but it was one for the books. An unusual story to tell around future campfires, a peculiar local tradition that we'll always associate with our love for camping. Needless to say, we made a mental note to do better research about local traditions before choosing our next camping spot. My friend and I used to go ghost hunting when we were in middle school. 
It consisted of me asking questions directed towards spirits and ghosts. This is pre-smartphone days. We also brought a handheld voice recorder that was pretty expensive. It was his dad's who was into music and playing instruments. We brought the recorder because we knew it was more likely we would get an EVP than an interaction we were aware of. EVP, Electronic Voice Phenomenon, is when you record a noise or voice of a spirit-slash-paranormal entity on your device. When you play the recording you hear the EVP which you did not hear with your own ears because the frequency was too high. I have had several interactions but I'll talk about two right now. The first I actually heard and it was terrifying. It was an especially creepy night at the location we were at which we frequented for these interactions. So creepy as took us 15 to 20 minutes to walk 20 feet. Other nights we would freely walk around and not be creeped out because we didn't feel like there was another presence. Well this night there was something there, and after I asked a question something in front of me, about 10 feet away swiftly glided towards me while gargling a low og which got progressively louder and more aggressive as it came towards me. The noise came all the way right up to me before I could start to run away. It moved really fast but I could see absolutely nothing in front of me. There was no body there. My friend and I bolted and ran all the way home. We listened to the recorder the next morning since we were too afraid to play it that night and it was exactly like I describe it now. The other experience. This was an EVP. We were listening to a recording at his house that we had just recorded. On the recording I was casually talking to him about something when all of a sudden there is a blood-curdling female scream. On the recorder it was way louder than my voice and long and drawn out as if a woman had just been stabbed or seen some horrific shit. It was the most chilling scream I have ever heard and I did not hear it at all when I was at that creepy location having the conversation with my friend. On the recording device when the scream happens I am mid-sentence and I do not pause or react. Neither of us do. I remember that night and we heard no scream. I've had some other experiences that are just as scary, seen an actual apparition, seen poltergeist, had my girlfriend physically hit and pushed on more than one occasion and I've had some other EVPs. Sometimes, life takes you down a path you never intended to tread. That's exactly what happened to me and my mate, all those years ago while bushwalking in New South Wales, Australia. We were just two friends on an adventure, with no idea of the sinister discovery we were about to stumble upon. In the heart of the bush, Amidst the eucalyptus and the bird calls, we found a peculiar structure. It was a platform, made entirely out of rocks, carefully arranged in a way that suggested it was intentional, not just a natural formation. It seemed out of place in the wilderness, a discordant note in an otherwise harmonious symphony. We didn't think much of it at the time, simply marking it up as a curious discovery before we continued on our journey. It was only much later that year that the memory of the rock platform took on a dark, foreboding significance. It began with a string of news reports about a series of arrests. Backpackers had been disappearing in the area over a span of few years, their disappearances largely chalked up to the risks of traveling in such isolated locales. That is until a man was arrested on suspicion of their murders. As the case unfolded, 
It was like a veil being lifted from our eyes. The news ran footage of so-called altars discovered at several of the murder sites, slightly hidden in the dense bushland. The chilling sight of those altars, constructed from rocks, sent a shiver down my spine. They were eerily similar to the platform we had encountered on our bushwalk. Worse yet, they were often found no more than 300 yards from the victim's shallow graves. The man at the center of this horrifying tale was Ivan Malat, now known as Australia's worst serial killer. He was convicted for the murders and has since spent his life behind bars. Yet, the thought that we had unknowingly stumbled upon one of his macabre altars was a chilling realization that has never quite left us. Even more unsettling is the fact that the police suspect that Malat didn't act alone. Although they were unable to gather enough evidence to prove it, the belief that there was at least one other person involved in the heinous crimes persists. The idea that this accomplice might still be out there, possibly continuing Malat's horrific legacy, added another layer of unease to our fateful encounter with the rock platform. It was a chilling reminder that sometimes, the most innocent adventures can intersect with the darkest aspects of humanity. That bushwalk in New South Wales was supposed to be a simple outing between friends, but it turned into a haunting memory we'll never forget. My husband's extended family lives in New Brunswick, while his parents moved to Ontario and raised their kids here. Eventually, my in-laws retired back to New Brunswick, about 1,400 kilometers away. So, my husband's maternal grandmother was sick for a while. His parents got the call one night that she had taken a turn for the worse, and to come right away. They literally packed and left Ontario right away and were driving down across an old old logging highway in the middle of New Brunswick, see my older posts for a short gif of the desolate road, when a moose ran out onto the road and reared in front of their car. They stopped the car, and the moose walked up to the windows and looked into the cab, literally leaving breath on the windows. Eventually it walked away. They get to the hospital in the middle of the night only to find out that grandma passed away, exactly at that time. Fast forward 30 years. My husband's mom is terminally ill. Her kids and grandkids have convened in New Brunswick for her last days. For several days before her death, we come home from the hospital to find moose tracks in the driveway, especially around the windows of the house. My husband's cousin has to go back to Ontario, and leaves the hospital to get ready. Within an hour of this, my husband's mom had passed away. 15 minutes after her passing, I get a text from his cousin, a picture of a moose standing beside their garage. Never before or after has anyone seen a moose in the yard. Went on a five-day gold panning trip with a couple buddies of mine. We drove six hours down unused logging roads. We're talking totally overgrown roads with trees having to be removed from the road to pass. We saw not one human the entire time we were out there, except for on the third night. At 3 a.m. We are sitting around the fire, drinking some beers, swatting at bugs, and shooting the shit when I hear a something. I look over and notice some light in the trees. What the? It's a truck, driving up the logging road we had cleared ourselves to get there at 3 a.m. 
The truck gets up to where we are, pulls into where we made camp, a small turn-off spot for logging trucks. Sits there for 10 seconds while we all kinda stare in shock at one another. I get up and start walking towards the truck to say hello and ask what the heck they are doing out at 3am on abandoned logging roads. When the truck just backs up, turns around, and drives off the way it came. The guys just drove 6 hours down logging roads all through the night, sees us and leaves without saying a word. We are all sitting there going, uh what the f? We all figured this guy was driving down the road, getting out and coming back to kill us in our sleep. Next morning we head down the road and nothing, they didn't set up camp or anything. Just left. We figured we were likely camped out near a grow up for one of the gangs. Hell's Angels most likely. And they were coming out to check who had come out to their spot, or they were there to pick the crop in the middle of the night. I've told this story before, but never to anyone I loved so deeply. So, here goes. In the fifth grade, I was a huge scaredy cat. The dark absolutely terrified me because I had an overactive imagination, and in those silent, pitch black moments, my mind would just conjure up the worst possible scenarios. So, one night, I woke up in a cold sweat, my digital clock displaying 2am in its eerie green glow. As I peered over the edge of my bed, I saw what I can only describe as a figure garbed in a blood-soaked red robe. Its face was obscured by a large, golden mask that reflected the dim light from the moon outside. It was a sight that still haunts my dreams. The figure stood there, silent as a grave, just staring at me from behind the mask. I laid there for what felt like an eternity, my heart pounding in my chest. Then, to my sheer terror, it dropped the mask onto the floor, revealing a grotesque face underneath. The face was pale, almost luminescent, its eyes too big for a human, and it wore a sinister smile. As if this sight wasn't horrifying enough, it started laughing, a cold, menacing laugh that echoed around my room and seemed to penetrate my very soul. For about 10 agonizing minutes, the figure faded slowly, still laughing, until it was gone, leaving me in the chilling darkness. Frozen by fear, I stayed in my bed for what felt like an eternity. Then, adrenaline kicked in, and I bolted from my room, racing to the sanctuary of my parents' room. Of course, they were as terrified as I was, though more for my state than the story I recounted. The next day, my parents asked Officer Dan, our neighbor and the town's most trusted cop, to come over and check things out. He was the kind of guy who'd seen it all, a comforting presence who never dismissed anything, no matter how far-fetched it sounded. I remember sitting there, nervously picking at the threads of my sleeve as I relayed my nightmarish experience to him. People have told me in the recent past that what I experienced sounds like sleep paralysis, but I distinctly remember sitting up slightly, rubbing my eyes, and then seeing that horrid figure. To this day, the memory of that red-robed figure sends shivers down my spine, and sometimes, in the dead of the night, I still feel the echoes of that cold, menacing laugh. But having someone like Officer Dan around, even if just to hear me out, made it a bit more bearable.
Last year I was with a buddy of mine and we were going to do the Heart Creek Scramble in Alberta, but due to some health conditions he has it was going too strenuous to complete and we figured we'd make it an easy day and just do the simple trail. Now we're both climbers and have been to Heart Creek for rock climbing in the past and had a great time so it wasn't a surprise to see the sporadic climbers on the mountainside as we went. Heart Creek is also pretty popular and easy for people who just want to go for a nice nature walk and maybe have picnic. Anyway, so we walked in, enjoying the day watching climbers on our way by. We saw a couple even doing some multi-pitch climbing which means basically leapfrogging up the route. We settled in for lunch about a half hour later and left a couple hours after that. On our way back I remember seeing a climbing shoe in the creek and thinking oh, Someone must have lost this. I picked it up when my buddy got my attention and I looked further downstream. Both climbers, a young man, 29, or so, I learned later, and his partner were both lying the creek bed, rope and harnesses still attached, dead. It was very surreal, we had seen these people climbing not two hours before, making their calls, having a good time. The first reaction I had was that I remembered that there was a family right behind us, a husband and wife with a young daughter who were playing in the creek on the way down. We ran back and stopped them and explained as quietly as we could what was ahead and before we knew it, Looky Luz had come by. It turned out that the husband was an off-duty or CMP officer and so he took control of the situation. I learned later we weren't the first on scene and that the authorities had been called. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com It was a very quiet ride back into town that day though. Edit, I have more details if people are interested. Real edit, holy crap, sorry all. Okay, more details. So the couple who were climbing were both experienced enough, but one was still learning they attempted to do a dual lowering maneuver using each other's weight and feeding the rope through their belays. One of them made a mistake and lost their end of the rope and that was it for both of them. There wasn't a lot of blood strangely and they looked very peaceful. I didn't get a good look at the girl I mostly only saw the guy there. 
The story ran for a couple days in the area, talking about the male as the family of the girl didn't want to disclose anything. That was not something I thought I'd see that day that's for sure. I'm going to peruse the comments for any specific questions. This is a story my uncle told us when he was younger and my cousin was just some months old. I was around 15 or so, he was explaining it to my father and looked actually scared about it. For what he told my father and I heard there myself, he had been dreaming three to four times with the same old woman and his daughter. The woman had bright red eyes, and in all his dreams she hurt his baby one way or another. So just a nightmare, which sucked, but whatever. Some days later they go around town with their baby, and took some photos. And when a couple of weeks later my uncle went to get them developed, he got a nasty surprise. In one of the photos of just the baby playing on some grass, there was an old woman at the background. The light had made it so she had red eyes, and my uncle sworn up and down it was the same woman that appeared in his dreams. And then his wife pipped in that, indeed, there was something strange there because she could have sworn they were alone in the park while taking those photos. She didn't seem to believe it was that scary, but she hadn't noticed the woman at all, she said. They spent a week or so staying with us until my uncle decided it was his imagination and they went back home. Two years later his wife tried to kill him while he was sleeping with a knife and tried to go after their daughter, but that didn't have anything to do with it. Turns out having schizophrenia, not saying anything to your boyfriend even when he turns into your husband, stopping taking your meds and your whole family deciding to lie to that same husband saying you were perfectly fine is not a good idea. My buddy and I had a tradition of hiking deep into the backwoods where human footprints were few and far between. A silent, serene world where our conversations were the only disturbance to the constant symphony of nature. That's where our story begins, way out there, with nobody in sight. One particular evening, as the sun dipped below the horizon, I began to gather some wood for a campfire. Picking up sticks here and there, my eyes landed on a stick that stood out from the rest. It was about five feet long, about three inches wide, the perfect size for a walking stick. Excitement coursed through me as I picked it up. It was straight and mostly smooth, the ideal companion for long hikes. What was really surprising was that one end was smoother than the rest. A thought bubbled up in my mind. Had I stumbled upon a fellow hiker's discarded walking stick? My fingers traced the meticulously whittled end, admiring the craftsmanship. But as my eyes took in the details, I realized, with an escalating sense of disbelief, that it wasn't a handle. Not even close. It was, unmistakably and irrevocably, a penis. A phallic masterpiece carved into the end of this seemingly innocent stick. I was holding a literal dick stick. My initial shock quickly morphed into odd fascination. This wasn't just a quick, crude job done out of adolescent boredom. This was a work of art, carved with purpose, precision, and, bizarrely enough, affection. The details were intricate, right down to the carefully etched veins running along its length. Whoever had created this had invested hours, if not days, crafting this unique piece of art. Stunned, I showed it to my buddy, 
whose wide-eyed expression mirrored my own. We burst into laughter, the echoing sound a stark contrast to the silence of the surrounding wilderness. There, under the stars, we shared a moment of surreal hilarity, the product of someone's bizarre pastime. From that day forward, our hikes took on an extra dimension. Every stick picked up was scrutinized, and our campfire stories had a new, undeniably strange, champion. The forest, it seemed, held secrets far more peculiar than we could have ever imagined. I work in the outdoor field and lead trips regularly. I once led a trip to the top of Mount Stringer in North Carolina. It's a tough climb to get to the top and about six miles from the nearest road. I was leading a group of eight middle school kids and had one co-instructor. We were camping out on top of the mountain and it was a beautiful night with a full moon. The kids and the other co-instructor went to bed in their tents. I chose to spend the night in a hammock that night. I was really into a book I was reading so I stayed up and read until about 10.30 pm. I turned my headlamp off to settle in for the night. Everything around me was rather bright from the moon and from the position I was in, I could see down the trail we had hiked to get to the top. I laid there enjoying the scenery and noticed something moving on the trail. Bears are common in the area so I perked up. As it got closer, I could tell it was a person. We were in the middle of nowhere and there was someone hiking up the trail with no headlamp or any gear. I was just frozen watching this person move closer to our camp. They arrived at the top of the mountain where we were and just stopped. I watched as what appeared to be a man surveyed our camp. I really could only see the outline of him. He stood there for what seemed like 30 minutes but may have been 10. He then turned, sat down under a tree facing our camp. He was sitting up in a way that I knew he wasn't trying to sleep. He just sat there staring at our camp. I had no idea what to do. I decided to wait it out. I waited, just staring at the man while he stared at my camp. This went on until about 3.30 am. Then, he stood up, took a moment to survey my camp a few minutes longer and then went back down the trail he came up on. I. To this day have no idea what that was all about but it freaked me out. I was paranoid that we were being followed for the rest of the trip. I was 18 and was going to a friend's, say, Mike, house with another friend of mine, let's call him Joe, on my bike, motorcycle, to be clear. So we reached this friend's house, which was in first floor. We tried calling him out from the street. His moms came out and said he wasn't home. We started again from there to another spot, where we and a couple of other friends hang out. Just after we start, Joe tells me to go the same spot that I had in mind and I tell him, I had the same thoughts too. Now we reach the spot and almost all of our friends are there, as expected. I had a tiny little chat which barely lasted a minute and then noticed that Joe wasn't behind me. I concluded myself that he was playing me and asked the guys where he was hiding. They had no idea what I was talking about. I thought of pranking them all back and decided to leave the place so that Joe would have to walk back home. Couple of hundred meters later, Joe walks towards me from a completely different direction. I was completely blank cause I'm the only one with a motorcycle and nobody else could have dropped him there from the spot. 
I asked him how he got there. Joe, I got down at the Mike's home. When you started, I was screaming for you to stop, but you just kept going. I was like, who was I talking to then on the way to the spot? The solitude that comes with living in a national park can be both intoxicating and haunting. I spent three months as the sole human inhabitant in one, a seemingly endless expanse of nature that was both my home and my sanctuary. The experience was mostly peaceful, the silence broken only by the sounds of the wind, the trees, and the occasional wildlife. But there was something else that often punctuated the quiet, music. It was a melody as soft and tinkling as a music box, or perhaps a distant ice cream truck on a hot summer day. The peculiar thing was, it always seemed to echo from somewhere above me, a melody floating on the breeze, an auditory illusion that was both fascinating and slightly unsettling. One day, driven by curiosity, I decided to track the source of the enigmatic music. I followed the dirt road that wound past my humble trailer, guided only by the elusive, ethereal melody that continued to waft through the trees. But as I ventured further, it was difficult to gauge if I was getting closer or if the source was just as elusive as before. My eyes were fixed on the treetops, straining to locate the origin of the strange sounds when my gaze was drawn downward. A snake lay stretched out in the path ahead. I stumbled backward in surprise, but the creature made no move. It took me a moment to understand why, the snake was dead. My heart pounded in my chest as I looked around and saw that the snake wasn't alone. Half a dozen dead copperheads lay strewn across the road, their lifeless bodies all aligned in the same direction. It was as if they had been journeying somewhere, only to be simultaneously struck down. Fear snaked its way up my spine, replacing my curiosity with a primal instinct to retreat. I couldn't bring myself to step over the ominous assembly of deceased serpents. Turning around, I rushed back to my trailer, intent on using my car to navigate past the eerie spectacle. But as I fumbled for my keys, the music abruptly ceased. The ensuing silence was almost deafening, filling the space the melody had previously occupied. The sudden stop seemed to echo the strange, unsettling event I had just witnessed. Despite my numerous walks afterward, the music never returned. The only reminders of that day were the silent woods and the memory of the bizarre, serpentine gathering on the road. The experience became another secret shared between the park and me, an enigma that underscored the underlying mystery and magic of nature. This started as early as my childhood. I'm reckon I'm what my religion or community describes as special. I have the ability to see the paranormal. However, I'm taught to be as logical and scientific as possible since young. I often try to explain my special encounters as reflection of light, my eyes are blurry, bad lightnings. So let me tell you Abbott more about my vision since young, often then not I see black mist slash figures. And I can't exactly see their facial expression, just a vague human-like body covered with either black or white cloth. And they merely appear for a blink of an eye. However, this one incident had me convinced that truly, whatever I have seen, encountered was not just my imagination. In my Asian community, 
We tends to stay at our parents till we are married or whenever we are financially stable of affording one. Houses in the Asian community are not cheap at all. So being a college undergraduate, after working on my thesis till 3 a.m., I decided to call it a night, switch on my night lights and get ready for my night reading. Halfway through, a white figure with a distorted face and lengthy hair came floating into my room. I definitely had my window closed since I lived in an air-conditioned room. It was staring at me as it make its way to the side of my bed slowly, gently and silently. Fear intertwined my every cells, my body unable to obey my commands. Her bloodshot eyes locked with mine, and abruptly, she let out an eerie shriek for a minute or two and disappear into thin air. My parents upon hearing the shriek came rushing in as I burst into tears. Till this date, we have no explanation whom it was or what's its purpose. Working the night shift has a way of skewing your perception of time. Before you know it, the world is celebrating Christmas and you're just finishing up work at 1 am. That's exactly where I found myself one Christmas morning, about to embark on a six-hour drive north to spend the holiday with my parents. This wasn't a bustling cityscape, this was the rural South Island of New Zealand, a landscape punctuated by small towns and vast stretches of untouched nature. It was the kind of place where traffic was sparse on a regular day, let alone at 1 am on Christmas morning. Throughout my drive, I passed only a handful of cars, fellow night owls making their own solitary journeys. About halfway through my trip, I reached a stretch of road that was truly isolated. The mountains seemed to reach out and touch the sea, with the narrow road carved into the cliffside. On one side, the towering cliffs rose into darkness, on the other, the roaring sea crashed against the rocky shore, its ebb and flow a steady soundtrack to my journey. It was on this remote road, some 20 kilometers from the nearest town, that my headlights illuminated an unusual sight, a man, walking in the middle of nowhere. The pitch black night, the eerie sound of the waves, and the intermittent sea fog created an almost otherworldly backdrop to this lone figure. What made the scene even stranger was what he was carrying, a cheap blow-up doll slung over his shoulder. There were no houses in sight, and given the steep mountains and the proximity of the sea, it was clear there were no suitable places for a dwelling until I reached the next town. This man was truly in the middle of nowhere, and his presence was inexplicably unsettling. Friends have since asked me if I stopped to see if he needed help, suggesting he might have been left behind by someone. But in the face of that bizarre spectacle, under the vast expanse of the starry sky, with the relentless sea as my only companion, there was no way I was stopping. I drove on, the image of the man and his blow-up doll growing smaller in my rear-view mirror. Even now, the memory lingers. A lone figure in the darkness, a curious anomaly against the rugged beauty of rural New Zealand. I still don't know who he was, or why he was there. All I know is, that six-hour drive was the longest I've ever experienced and I'll never forget that Christmas morning. Lived alone in a sub-basement flat once. A lot of weird things happened that I put down to the fact I was constantly tired from working split shifts six days a week. 
Honestly, if it was something else, it was actually super helpful. I'd come home knowing I really needed to put a clothes wash on and when I got in I'd find my clothes were clean, that kind of thing but it was happening a lot. I really thought that my schedule was so messed up that I was doing things and not remembering doing them so I was more concerned that I was losing my mind than being haunted. Anyway, the thing I really can't explain away is the time I was lying on my couch and I noticed something catching the light on a glass panel on the door. Got up to look at it and saw it was a kiss mark. But basically from that moment on I was finding them all over the place, on mirrors, on the other doors, even on the stove top, basically any shiny surface. I may have been washing clothes without remembering but I definitely wasn't going around kissing things in my flat. Oh, and also I would often find my front door wide open, despite being sure that I'd locked it or at least shut it which made me think that maybe a living human was getting into my place and doing weird shit. When you move to a new place, you expect surprises. New faces, new paths, new experiences. But when my brother and I moved into our new house, we discovered something we could never have anticipated. The house was nestled against expansive backwoods, an open invitation to exploration and adventure. Being nature enthusiasts, we were thrilled by the opportunity to have our very own wilderness to traverse. We laced up our boots and decided to explore our new playground one sunny afternoon, not knowing the chilling encounter that lay ahead. Our hike led us into a quaint open grass field, a startling contrast to the dense woods we just navigated. An island of green amidst a sea of trees. There, in the center of this unexpected meadow, was a figure hunched over in a blue jacket. We assumed it was a friend we'd made recently. I didn't have my glasses on, but the familiar blue jacket seemed a good enough sign. So, with a grin, I jogged across the field, excited to surprise our friend. As I approached the figure, I soon realized our mistake. It wasn't our friend. It was a man, a stranger. He was crouched over the carcass of a deer, brutally jabbing at it with a blunt stick. The sight was macabre, a horrifying scene framed by the serene beauty of the meadow. I froze in place as the man raised his head, his eyes meeting mine. Fear took hold, adrenaline pumping through my veins as my heart pounded against my ribcage. I turned on my heel, shouting at my brother to run. The joyful exploration had turned into a terrifying chase as we sprinted back through the woods. The memory of that day still sends chills down my spine. The tranquil beauty of our backwoods forever marred by the unsettling encounter. We learned something important that day. Our new home held surprises alright, but some were far more disturbing than we could ever have imagined. I remember the day as clear as a bell. My girlfriend and I, hungry for adventure, decided to take on the Appalachian Trail. We weren't through hikers by any means, just a pair of carefree spirits looking to experience the rustic charm of the wild over a three-month period. We were far from civilization, hadn't seen a soul in what seemed like forever. The isolation was just as we desired it, an escape from the urban frenzy. As I led the way, my eyes caught sight of something peculiar. It was a large brass eagle, strangely abandoned on a tree stump. 
We were miles into the wilderness, the nearest town a distant memory. The weight of the eagle spoke of its authenticity, it was a random token of human civilization in the midst of untouched nature. It seemed to be the first in a series of unusual items we encountered that day, each one more inexplicable than the last, discarded as if part of a breadcrumb trail. That evening, we arrived at a shelter. Our relief at finding a place to rest was quickly overshadowed by the unsettling presence of the shelter's lone inhabitant. He was an old man, his disheveled appearance and his walking staff, topped with a baby doll's head, gave off an immediate eerie aura. With only two levels in the shelter, we opted for the top, leaving the ground floor to our disconcerting company. The night was long. Any attempts at sleep were interrupted by the old man's rambling tales from his past. He spoke of his days as a cab driver in New Orleans, his voice echoing through the wooden shelter. His stories took an uncomfortable turn when he reminisced about passengers engaging in intimate acts in the back of his cab and how he would watch them in the rearview mirror. It was a disturbing disclosure that hung in the air like a bad stench. At dawn, we couldn't wait to distance ourselves from the shelter and its eerie resident. Before leaving, we left him some power bars, his haggard appearance suggested he needed them more than us. He probably had schizophrenia or some other mental illness, I thought, as we quickly retreated down the trail. Our encounter with him was a chilling reminder that the wilderness wasn't just filled with physical challenges, but with mental ones too. It was a usual day in Missoula, Montana. The sort of day that begged you to lace up your hiking boots and lose yourself in the majesty of the surrounding mountains. I lived in a house tucked away at the foot of these ranges and found solace in their imposing shadow. After perhaps 45 minutes of arduous uphill hiking, without a path to guide me, I stumbled upon something that broke the rhythm of nature's harmony. It was a cage, but not one designed for trapping or hunting. No. This one was large enough to contain five to ten average-sized people, standing erect. The structure was constructed with round steel bars defining its edges, the walls, and ceiling were crafted from robust ropes instead of conventional chain links. It was cleverly concealed, resting just on the far side of the ridgeline, invisible to anyone who wasn't directly upon it. The isolation of the cage was both puzzling and unnerving. Looking around, I noticed the ground was undisturbed, no footprints, no tire tracks, no signs of recent activity. The cage seemed oddly pristine, the ropes intact and undamaged. It was as if this cage had appeared out of thin air, serving an unfathomable purpose in the heart of this vast wilderness. A chill of apprehension ran down my spine as I studied the eerie structure. I felt a primal instinct kick in urging me to leave the area and distance myself from this unsettling discovery. I had stumbled upon a mystery that, perhaps, was best left unsolved. Regretfully, I didn't have a camera with me that day, this was two years ago, and I was only out for a day hike. Over time, the memory of that cage has only become more enigmatic, a strange enigma amidst the natural beauty of the Missoula Mountains, a story that I now share with a sense of bewildered unease. I was camping and hiking in the Okefenokee Swamp. We, 
My girlfriend and me, were far from being the only ones there, but when we woke up one morning we took a canoe out in the swamp to explore. It was early, there was a thick layer of fog resting just atop the water. The whole swamp was completely still. No animals in sight at all. We paddled down the waterway for a while and saw nothing else. Not a single person. Not a bird. Not anything. We didn't hear a single sound. We had just cornered a bend in the swamp and we hear it. The loudest guttural bellow I had ever heard in my life. I could feel it echo through my chest. A true dinosaur sound. We stopped paddling and looked at each other a little creeped out. We knew it was an alligator, but we had never heard one that loud. We both looked behind the canoe and behind us the backs and eyes of at least 20 alligators had risen. They had just surfaced out of nowhere. We slowly start to paddle forward and we hear more bellows. They came from all around us. In front, behind, to the sides, sounds emanating from the bush-covered banks. Each glance behind us we saw more eyes appear. More scaled mounds breaking the water's surface. From the banks in front we would catch tails sliding into the water, ripples of these huge reptiles broke the water all around us. We looked back again as we paddled faster. Easily 40 alligators behind us now. And we began to see them appear in front. 10 to 15 huge lizards seemingly blocking our path. Then, one of the largest alligators I have ever seen surfaces right where my paddle was going down. I hit the beast on the back of the head and the thrash he made was incredible. When his massive head hit the side of the small canoe I thought we were going in the water. Water came into the canoe as the side dipped down. The beast disappeared below the boat and we held steady. We paddled forward as fast as we could, right into the dotted landscape of scales and eyes. Behind us, that same guttural roar echoed through my body. As we cut through the field of eyes and backs, we started to see the path clear. The huge monster that had almost capsized us bellowed one last time. We turned as we made it past the last of the animals and we could see the monster staring at us. Watching us leave. All the other alligators began to sink to the water's floor. The big guy stayed there watching until he was satisfied we had gone, I guess. Then he disappeared without a sound, back into the black murky depths of the swamp. We banked the canoe further up the waterway, got out and just sat around for a while taking in what had just happened. The heat of the New Mexico sun beat down on me as I set off on a solitary hike, eager to explore the vast wilderness while hunting for hidden geocaches. The vast openness was a sight to behold, but the true allure was what was hidden in the wild, waiting to be discovered. After a few hours of navigating through dense foliage, I found myself in a clearing. There, I was met with a sight that seemed out of place in the serene wilderness. Half-built and crumbling concrete structures were scattered around, their skeletal frames of protruding rebar piercing the clear blue sky. A dirt road, untouched by recent rains and worn by tire treads, cut through the clearing, leading in from a direction opposite to the one I had come from. The site was oddly chilling, a ghost town in the making, forsaken mid-construction and left to crumble in the otherwise untouched wilderness. Signs of recent activity, footprints and freshly discarded trash, hinted that the site was still frequented, 
adding to the eerie atmosphere. It felt post-apocalyptic, a relic of civilization left to decay among nature. Alone and unsettled by the unexpected discovery, I felt a twinge of unease crawl up my spine. The thrill of geocaching took a backseat to the creeping sense of dread permeating the area. I decided to abort my hunt, choosing to retrace my steps and leave the uncanny sight behind. It was only later that I discovered the truth about the site. It was, in fact, a battleground for paintball tournaments, designed to mimic an urban warfare environment. There were no signs of spent paintballs or colorful splatters on the concrete walls, leaving no clues about its real purpose. This explained the seemingly misplaced urban decay in the heart of the wilderness. Yet, knowing its purpose did little to diminish the eerie impression the site had left on me. Its incongruity with its surroundings served as a stark reminder of how jarring the hand of humanity can be amidst the beauty of nature. I was with Outward Bound in Utah for three weeks. Majority of the three weeks you are with the group, but for one to two days you go on a solo or whatever they call it. They give you enough gear and food and plant you in a spot. You're not opposed to leave for any reason, if you have a problem you blow the safety whistle and someone will come, we were pretty much just out of line of sight from each other in the group. So I get to my spot, set up shop, and walk around my area a little bit. I then find the mangled and decayed husk of an elk not 50 feet from my sleeping bag. It had been there for a month or two, and there was barely any meat left on it so the smell wasn't that bad. It was very clear that something had been eating the elk. The skull was three feet away from its spine, the legs were gone and the ribcage was smashed. There aren't too many things in the wild that can do this. It could have been a black bear, but they are skittish and I could just yell at it and it would go away. Brown bear, if it was hungry I would be in some serious shit. Coyotes, not that threatening because I am not a small dog or cat. Wolves, least likely as I don't think there are many left in Utah. Mountain lion, F me sideways if it decides to come back. Most carnivores don't want to travel great distances to hunt for food, so they stay close to their food supply. Most importantly they don't haul the catch of the day back to the wife and kids, to my knowledge only few animals do this. So if you find a kill of a carnivore you are probably not too far where they live. Now sleep tight. Alone. In the darkness. Knowing that the animal that killed the elk isn't that far away from you. While you sleep. Alone. Defenseless. I grew up in the concrete jungle of Brooklyn, a place where buildings scraped the sky and cars filled the streets. My eyes had only known the grays and blues of concrete and steel, the occasional splashes of green in city parks, and the vibrant diversity of urban life. The sight of an actual forest, a densely wooded area filled with trees, was alien to me. When I was a young teen, a friend decided to introduce me to the more natural side of Brooklyn, the trails in Prospect Park. We ventured away from the hustle and bustle of the city and into the serene woodland trails. The sheer contrast was unsettling, if not terrifying. The silence was an unfamiliar melody, a far cry from the incessant city noise. The towering trees cast long, menacing shadows, 
making the woodland seem eerily dark and haunted. Just as I was coming to terms with the uncanny surroundings, something caught my eye that sent a chill down my spine. A white face, a girl's face, peered out from a thicket of bushes. Her eyes were wide and vacant, her mouth open in what looked like a silent scream. It was as if she was frozen in the throes of absolute terror. Instantly, all the horror stories I had heard about deserted woods flooded my mind. My heart pounded against my chest as thoughts of the worst scenarios crossed my mind. Had a psycho serial killer dumped a victim's body here? I stood, petrified, my breath held as I tried to process the sight. It took me a good 30 seconds to realize the truth. The girl's face belonged to an inflatable sex doll, oddly discarded in the bushes. It was a bizarre sight, and though it was far from the gruesome scenario I had imagined, it still added a strange twist to my first experience with the woods.